Welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter 10 of The Subtle Knife, The Shaman. Hello, how are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. How are you? I'm I'm pretty good. You know what? We're podcasting at like quarter to six. And it's only just gone dark. I know, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. This change in the in the like sunset has honestly changed my life so much this last week. The end is in sight. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait until because like I've been struggling to go out for walks and stuff because it gets dark super early and obviously I work during the day and it's like well when am I supposed to go out for a walk and like a couple of days this week I've managed to go out for a little bit and then it gets dark and I'm like you know what I'm a woman walking the streets and I don't feel safe so you know just bringing it back to the patriarchy just scuttling on home before the sun sets (laughs) it's like is it that we're women existing in the world are there vampires? Could it be both? <laughs> is, is it a Sunnydale curfew or is it an avoiding the patriarchy curfew? Yeah, it makes it more fun if I pretend that it's vampires. Yeah. <laughs> but then if I was pretending it was vampires, I'd like to pretend that I was Buffy and I wouldn't want to think that I'd be scurrying home to like escape the vampires. Also true. But also you'd be carrying much more weaponry upon your person <laughs> where <true>. they're vampires <laughs> maybe i'll just start carrying a stick around yeah i mean faith proved it works on people too <laughs> oh my god she did oh it's dark <laughs> <laughs> yeah ah uh, what's going on what is going on um not a lot <laughs> not a lot the end is kind of in sight with lockdown 5.7 million i'm tentatively we are tentatively making plans i cannot wait to be able to be in the same room as you mm-hmm. That'll be fun. <laughs> it seems like it's it's literally been so long it's been months and months yeah but i'm also very much not getting my hopes up because i just daren't i daren't <laughs> yeah i'm the same like if you think about what happened at christmas Mm-hmm. when Boris was like oh go and see your families it's cool and then like a couple of days before I was like actually London you're in tier four so no no family for you yeah when he was like cancelling Christmas would be monstrous and then he did it <laughs> like, cool, thanks. oh god uh, yeah so yeah yeah I don't know I am I'm a bit of both like I'm a little bit hopeful I'm a little bit I think it makes me feel a little bit better that there's potentially an end in sight but then also I'm worried that it's all just going to go tits up. True. Uh, my brain, when you went, I'm a little bit hopeful. I'm a little bit, I was always oh like, my God. I'm a little bit tipsy. <laughs> I'm a little bit hot. <laughs> I'm a little bit single, even when I'm not. <laughs> I'm a little bit of la, 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 la. Oh my God. I'm a little bit of Lexus. Yes. You haven't watched Shit's Creek, go and do it now. <laughs> always a little bit of Lexus. I love her so much. <sighs> I'm a little bit of lockdown. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I say this a lot because I rewatched Shit's Creek recently. I really think Alexis is 
alongside Cordelia in Buffy slash Angel, I think Alexis has one of the best character progressions in in it, like in any series that I've ever seen. She is amazing, and Annie Murphy, who plays her, is so bloody talented. And I don't think she'd really done anything before Shit's Creek. <sighs> so fucking good. I could just watch it forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I constantly refer to things that I've made as my bebes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've i been re-watching The Office, the US version of The Office. Um, I loved it back when it came out and it hasn't aged particularly well. Um, it's like the older episodes are like super, like really bad for like in terms of aging, in terms of being like racist and like homophobic and stuff. Because it was back in the time when uh, like TV shows thought it was funny to do that. Um, it, as it progresses, it gets better in in those senses. But yeah, I was watching the first couple of seasons, even all the way through to the last season. Though there's so much fat phobia in it as well. Like, oh, I hate it. Oh God, hundred percent. Yeah, and I feel like their excuse was always like, oh yeah, but like Michael Scott's just a, like a bit of a shit person. I'm like, he's a terrible person, but it's not an excuse to have that kind of stuff in your TV show. There's other ways. Like, Shit's Creek is a great example of how comedy doesn't have to be mean mm. um i don't and- think they really aside from like self-deprecation-y or like um like they don't often try to tear people down they don't no. try to make you laugh by tearing someone down and i love that it's so sweet it really is i didn't think that we were going to talk about shit's creek but i'm so glad that we are yeah what a, <laughs> what a segue <laughs> Uh, speaking of things that we're eternally grateful for just like Shit's Creek oh my god we are eternally grateful to our newest patrons Amy and Karen welcome to the Dusty Club yay thank you so much we are very appreciative of your support and yeah welcome welcome to the little Dusty family yay yay okay do we have anything else that we want to talk about. Oh, I suppose we're in that weird time loop again, aren't we? Where we haven't interviewed Jane Tranter yet, but when this episode comes out, we will have interviewed Jane Tranter. And who knows, you might have already heard the interview with Jane Tranter. So we're in a weird time warp again. But I mean, we're here to remind you that we have interviewed Jane Tranter. <laughs> yes, and that will be coming to your ear holes, hopefully quite soon. We'll if see it's how not long it takes already. us to edit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but very, it's a very exciting one. We've actually been trying to get Jane for a while. Um, she's a very busy bee, as you can imagine. So yes, definitely have so many questions for her that I'm going to have to try and whittle down, I think. <laughs> it's going to be too many. Definitely. Very exciting. Very nervous. I'm, I'm very nervous. <laughs> I'm a very nervous person at the moment. It's fine. It's fine. It will be fine. We'll we'll do it. We've done, we interviewed Lynn, you know what I mean? We interviewed Lynn Manuel Miranda. And I've never been as nervous in my fucking life. You can so. check that off off your list. That you you mention it every episode. I truly <laughs> check it do. Off. Got it in early this week. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And I'll probably talk about Lynn Moore because this is a very Lee Scoresby heavy chapter. It sure is. I have yeah. Got a lot to say about lots of people with names beginning with L. <laughs> yes. Yes. Shall we? Shall we get into it? First. Oh my God. Say? I, why do I always forget this recently? I always forget the <laughs> demon bit. Fuck's sake. I don't know, buddy, but I'm very excited to tell you about mine. So, mm-hmm. Faye, what would your demon have been this week? <laughs> so, I really struggled with this week because 
I just felt super neutral. Like, I feel like I wasn't really paying attention to how I was feeling. And like, I told you about this last night and you just sent me as like a line, just like, yeah, my mood at the minute is just a straight line. And I really feel that. Um, So I wasn't, I couldn't really think of anything. So I just went with a chinchilla because I think they're really cute. (laughs) Yeah, it's my favourite slash heartbreaking fact about chinchillas is that you can't get them wet because they'll go mouldy. What? So when chinchillas like clean themselves by having dust baths, because if their fur is so dense, this is why they're so fucking soft. Their fur is so dense. If any moisture gets in there, it'll just get trapped and they'll go mouldy and they'll get musty. Oh my God. It's like adorable and heartbreaking at the same time thinking of a mouldy chinchilla. So do they not like clean themselves or anything? They do. It's like they do like like a dust bath. So it's kind of like they just use dry shampoo. (laughs) I mean, I can relate. So see, that's a connection. I fucking live on dry shampoo. (laughs) You are a chinchilla taking dust baths with your hair. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, mine's not very exciting this week. I don't have a reason. I just like chinchillas. They are pretty cute though. Mm. What about you? I can I can see the anticipation of you to tell me what your demon is. So what is your demon? So the thing that has been getting me through the last few weeks is like baking sweet things and eating a ridiculous amount of sugar. It's probably why I'm having quite a few highs and quite a few lows. Um, <laughs> all the sugar. <laughs> and so I was kind of looking at animals that predominantly survive on sugary things or sugars and then I was like, mm, I don't really feel like a, I don't really feel like it would have been a bird. I feel like it would have been something mammally. And then I came across the honey possum. Oh, it is like this big, and she says holding up like maybe her fingers like like two inches apart because this is a podcast and people can't see me. It's this big, <laughs> and I literally showed my hand to the mic. Then, like, <laughs> oh can you God. hear it? Can you hear can how? Can you hear how small it is? They're absolutely tiny, and they just they eat like flower nectar, and they're really small. And that like I need to send you a picture. You're gonna have to send me a picture. Also, weren't you a possum last week? I was a possum last week, so it feels very on track to have just turned into a smaller possum that survives entirely on sugar but like they're they're like the size of like a tiny little dormouse but they're possums so they have like like a possum they have like a little prehensile tail have they got a big nose oh yeah they've got like little elephant shrew like long noses they also just always look a little bit tired and a little bit frightened oh my (laughs) god that's the energy that i'm here for oh it's so cute so technically they're marsupials and they're found in Australia and they're one of Australia's like best pollinators because oh. they like get all the pollen stuck to them and they're just heartbreakingly small and cute, basically. Oh my god. So cute. Oh the oh, I, oh the picture you, you sent me. The second picture you sent me. Their eyes look really sad. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I was looking at like animals that survive predominantly on sugar because that's how I feel right now. Mm. And yeah, I found this little possum in the moment I saw pictures of it and how like tired and small it looks. <laughs> I was like, oh. that's it. That's the energy. <laughs> it would sit on like the edge of my like mixing bowl as I was baking and like snaffle like little bits of sugary Aww. stuff as I'm trying to bake. So It'd cute. Really cute. I love it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, you're right. That was a very good one. 
Google a honey possum if you haven't seen them before because they're so fucking cute. <laughs> also, I know we have um a few. They say they're from Australia. Mm-hmm. We have a few Australian patrons, so I wonder if we have like wider Australian listeners. Have you seen a honey possum in real life? Oh my god, tell us. Please do. Please oh, tell so us. Cute. Right now, shall we get into it? Now we've done the demons. Yes. Yes. Last chapter, Lyra and Will went back to Creepy Charles's house to get the alethiometer. Their plan was very nearly thwarted when Mrs. Coulter showed up. Thankfully, they got away with the alethiometer unscathed. Lyra finally remembered where she recognised Creepy Charles from. It's Boreal! Ah! In this chapter, we're back with Lee Scoresby as he searches for and finally finds the elusive Stanislaus Grumman. Grumman reveals his true identity as John Parry, Will's dad, what? what? and explains how he came to be in Lyra's world. He tasks Lee with a new mission to take him to the world beyond the Azrael explosion and find the bearer of the subtle knife. Lee agrees, but only if he can also ask the bearer to protect Lyra. Lee and Parry set off in Lee's balloon on their new mission. What a chapter, folks. Oh my god, I'm so happy to be back with Lee. I missed him so much. Yeah, Lee's back. Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Balloon Dad's back. <laughs> Balloon Dad is back. This is a very exposition-y chapter, isn't it? It's basically a conversation between two people that pretty much lasts an entire chapter with lots of massive paragraphs of dialogue. <laughs> my first note is this chapter is the battle of the monologues. <laughs> Truly, truly. It's like leaders, a one and a half page monologue. And then Grumman slash Joppery slash John Perry does a two and a half page monologue or something. And it's like, <laughs> okay. So many men speaking is what So happens. many. <laughs> so we, I suppose we pick up with Lee where we left off with him, right? He gets to the mouth of the river and basically everything's in chaos. Thanks, Azrael. Thanks, Azrael. The fucking Azrael explosion or Azrael explosion, which is another great band name. Yes. <laughs> very. What did you say? You said it was like very alt J. I think it sounds very pop punk. Oh, what? Well, mm. So I feel like maybe you would have like the Azrael explosion experience or something. <laughs> and that would be like some kind of wanky, like maybe alt J vibes. And then as just Azrael explosion, like kapow would be like pop punk. It sounds like you're a POV, you're a teenager. You're, you're just, you're, you've made a band for the first time. You called it Azrael explosion. It's very like the first band vibes, like very like kind of cheesy pop punk band name. And all the songs are going to be like, girl, you look so sad let me break through to your world oh my god <laughs> the thing that's missing from your life is me you're so sad and beautiful and no one else can see it <laughs> that's the vibe <laughs> oh god yes i love it i'm here that for was it. just all of the songs <laughs> rich you should write the songs <laughs> oh you don't want to hear them <laughs> <laughs> okay so the Azrael explosion has just fucked everything up. And that's like a common theme throughout this chapter, right? We keep getting descriptions and descriptions of like how people are out of work, like how it's affected literally every aspect of the world, that uh, of Lyra's world that we're still in. It's just shit, isn't it? It's the polar opposite of subtle. 
<laughs> like yeah. we were talking about the subtle knife having like subtle openings into worlds. Asriel doesn't do subtle, he does blowing a world apart and essentially causing some really like intense onset global warming for yeah. like half a hemisphere. Sure. Great. Good 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 oh. Thanks, Thank Asriel. Thanks, Asriel. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> basically it's really muddy where they are because of the astral explosion um and he can't pull the balloon so he has to put it in storage which is interesting because i hadn't really pictured like lee just like pulling the balloon before but obviously he had to get it from place to place somehow yeah i mean i assume he has some kind of like he would hire some kind of transport to help him with the balloon like if he's in the north and it was actually snowy which it isn't now, thanks, Asriel. Um, he would like hire a team with like sled dogs or something to help him pull it around. He'd whack it on like a sledge yeah. or something. Also, in Northern Lights, didn't he do that? Or am I thinking of the TV show? No, I feel like he kind of joined joined the gang joined of the like crew Egyptians bit, right? and their sleds and like yeah. brought his yeah yeah <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I mean, now that it's not snow anymore, there's no way for him to properly transport it. Really, yeah, I guess, yeah. So he hides a boat, a little boat, and he sets off down the river to find Grumman, or the tribe that Grumman is in. So, like, the fact that it's getting a little bit warmer, and I hate this, like, all of the insects have come out. There's, like, clouds of midges everywhere, which is, like, my least favourite thing in the world. I always get bitten to death by bugs. And, like, the fact that they're just, like, that sudden, like, jump in temperature has just caused everything to just hatch. It's like, no, no, thank you. No. But Lee smears his face and hands with Jimson weed ointment. And as always, given the chance to look up something, I will look it up. Jimson weed is like, I was about to say it's like bananas. It's nothing like bananas. <laughs> it's history is bananas. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with bananas. Okay, good to know. Um, So let me just put on my gardening gloves and my earmuffs and call me professor sprout because you're yep. about to have a herbology lesson <laughs> great great i'm ready also drink of course so according to the encyclopedia britannica jimson weed or datura stramonium it's also called thorn apple devil's snare <gasps> yeah it's also called like devil's trumpets it's lots of it's lots of devil things which gives you a hint as to like hmm perhaps Perhaps it might not be very good for you. Do you know, it's so funny because ever, ever since I've always been like this type of person anyway, like the devil's cool, man. But like, ever since I watched that documentary on Netflix about um, Satanism and mm-hmm. I, every time I hear like things about the devil, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. It must be good, right? <laughs> Woo. <laughs> nice, nice. Anyway, sorry I interrupted you. No, no, it's all good. But basically it is... Um, Considered to be an invasive species throughout much of the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, It was used by the Algonquin native peoples in Eastern North America and a lot of other indigenous peoples as, um, well, essentially it has hallucinogenic properties. So it was often used in ceremonies and, Mm -hmm. and things like that, which is very interesting. But also because of that, it has like a really unusual history for... So, like, it's got really important cultural, like, significance yeah. for some people. Mm-hmm. But then, obviously, the fucking white folks turn up. And <laughs> As they always fucking do. It's got, like, this really weird history where it's called... So, Jimson weed is a... 
what do you call it when you push two words together and they sound like they stop sounding like what they are, if that makes sense? I don't know what the name for that is. So basically it's a, a compartmentalization of Jamestown weed. Ah. Jimson weed is a contraction, that's the word, contraction when two words are smidge, is a contraction of Jamestown weed. Its side effects were first described in 1676 in Jamestown, Virginia. British troops sent to halt Bacon's rebellion inadvertently added the locally growing plant to salad and many became acutely intoxicated and unfit for duty. (laughs) So that's how it kind of got that colloquial name. Um, it's also in the Belladonna family, which we know means that she's fancy, mm-hmm. uh, which Belladonna got its name because uh, Italian ladies would take it to dilate their pupils to make them more pretty. So it's like Belladonna, pretty lady. Oh, uh, uh, cool. <laughs> but also they were just high as fuck. Mm. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping that that's, I'm hoping that those women were like, this is why we take it and just made up the excuse about their eyes. And then they yeah. actually just did it to be high as fuck so it has been used for hallucinogenic and medical purposes since ancient times greek the greek priests of apollo used it to produce prophecies in like 38 bc which i love love it (laughs) yeah Uh, in 38 bc antony's soldiers ate some of the plant while retreating and came ridiculously incoherent the plant's name is derived from a similar incident involving soldiers in jamestown and so yeah, basically, this plant has, like, a huge, amazing history. And for some reason, Phil's pulled it out here for, like, oh, Lee'll just have some ointment of that. But, like, if you ingest it, it is, uh, like, in enough of a quantity... Like, any of its parts are technically poisonous if ingested. But, like, if you ingest it carefully, it's a hallucinogen. So it's Lee just, like, off his tits on this, on this boat ride? Well, I don't know, because he's not technically ingesting it if he's putting it on his skin, like... But surely it would, like, seep, for want of a better word. I mean, maybe. It's it's not the fastest way to get it into your bloodstream, but he's just rubbing an ointment made of, of a hallucinogenic plant into his skin to get midges off. And then also smoking a massive cigar. That's such a fucking time. move as well, isn't it? Like, I'm just going to smoke a cigar to get these midges away. <laughs> oh, God. Well, well done. That was amazing. <laughs> I tried. I felt far more prepared than I actually was. Uh, I feel like it was a bit of a scramble towards in the middle there somewhere. Shall I tell you about my research this week? Please do. I did absolutely nothing, Rage, and I'll tell you why. Because I was making my notes and I used my phone as a paperweight to hold my book open and my phone died. <laughs> and I didn't have my laptop anywhere near me and I was too lazy to go and get it. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm such a professional. Well. I'm just so yes. professional. Mm-hmm. We are the height of pro- professionalism here at Herdal Materials. We truly are. <laughs> truly. Oh, I'm just so proud of us. I'm proud of you. Not so proud of myself. <laughs> I feel like I just like Google the least significant things in the chapter, but I get really into it and I love the like weird little rabbit holes that go down. Like, I love it too. Yeah. Gonna keep it coming. <laughs> so... Lee's covered himself in poisonous ointment and is smoking a cigar. Hester's sat in the front of the bar with her ears flat against her back and her eyes narrowed and she just seems like permanently in like a slightly bad mood. Yeah. I love love that energy so much. Me too. She she looks like she's just on the cusp of being pissed off constantly. And I feel that. It's 
says he was used to her silence and she to his. They spoke when they needed to. And like, I kind of, I love that. And I wish I was that kind of person that could be really comfortable in silence. But anyone Mm. that knows me knows that I'm not. (laughs) I'm not. Yeah, I'm the same. I think that it really, I, I said this in the Lynn interview, but I don't know if I've said it like properly on the, in the book episodes, but Lee and Hester are my favorite human demon relationship because they're so comfortable with each other that they're just chill about it. Do you know what I mean? They always know they're so intuitive and I just feel like they've got that connection down more than anybody else that we've met so far, at least. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like Lyra and Pan are very connected, but they're still really young and they have that like scattiness about them which I love, don't get me wrong. But like, Lee and Hester are just like, look, we don't need to communicate. We know what's going on. And here we are. Accept us. And I'm like, I do. I love you. I guess it's just like, they've spent so much time alone together. Like all of their long balloon voyages. You've got to be really in tune with each other for that. And like, you've also just got to run out of things to talk about. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. So after three days on the river, they reach their destination. And they go to the house of the village headman, um, where a little crowd has gathered to to greet them, which is lovely. So Lee, to to show that he uh, signify friendship, he does the same thing that Seraphina and Thorold did, which was he lays his gun on the floor, and then the headman lays his bow on the floor as well. Yeah, I um love the like his wolverine demon interacting with hester and how it's like there's also like a little demon moment there of like yeah we're cool with each other like yeah like i acknowledge your good intentions and i like it i really like hester's ear twitch because i love it when animals ears twitch i think it's really cute Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm really here for like just the fact that so many of these characters are so multilingual as it is a, a horrible and true trope of British people going abroad and not knowing a single language. I have to say, I am monolingual. <laughs> I only have English under my belt. It's awful. It's something I wish that I'd been pushed into at a much younger age, is like learning way more languages, um, more than the one. Yeah. And so just anytime anyone like cycles through a bunch of languages to like find a common tongue, I am, I'm just filled with envy, <laughs> basically. I completely agree. Like I... I'm also sad that I didn't pursue learning a language properly when I was younger. Um, I can also only speak English. I am forever in awe of people that can speak more than one language. I, For some reason, it reminds me a lot of Modern Family. I bet you didn't think I was going to say that. Um, but Sofia Vergara, who is obviously a native Spanish speaker, plays a character in Modern Family who is also a native Spanish speaker. And one of the things that she said in one of the episodes like really resonated with me because they were like taking the mick out of her getting words wrong in this particular episode. And she was like, look, you don't know how clever I am in Spanish. Like you don't know how difficult it is to like translate everything in my head before I say it to you and then translate everything you say back to me in my head before I understand it. And that's why I have such... A disdain for people that I suppose that don't have patience for people that English isn't their first language. It's like, do you know how difficult it is to fucking speak a different language and interact with someone that's native in that language? I can only imagine how fucking hideously difficult it is. So why don't you shut your fucking mouth? 
also 100% anyone that's like being a dick about somebody not speaking your language does not speak any other language. Exactly. Like people that are like, oh, if you're going to move to England, learn the language. It's like, oh, cool. Do you speak French, Spanish, Italian, anything, anything other than English? And even that barely competently. Okay, cool. Cool. So yeah. stones, glass houses, maybe stop throwing them. Yeah, <laughs> like- 100%. 100%. So yes, I'm also very into Lee and this headman knowing at least six languages. Amazing. Just I'm just jealous. Yeah. <laughs> so then Lee offers him smoke weed. Do you think that this is actual weed? Mm, smoke, smoke leaf, smoke weed. I don't. I feel like maybe it's like some like proper intense tobacco leaf, but it's never it's it's never fully explained, is it? No. Did y'all say smoke leaf? Oh no, it says smoke weed, yeah, okay. not smoke leaf. I was like, oh my god, is that another difference? So this is a thing that I was going to Google and my phone died, but I was, I just, I just want it to be weed. I feel like just if you Google smoke weed, it's only ever going to come up with, like, it's going to be really hard to Google <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> not just get yeah. loads of marijuana. True. Like, very yeah. true. Very true. Um, so we learn that the headman has more than one wife. Mm-hmm. And I really hope, it reminds me a lot of when we were talking about uh, the bears on Svalbard and how um, the bear king, was it Yafa at the time, had loads of wives and they were in that little fucking woman pen or whatever it yeah. was. And I'm hoping that the headman is in a lovely polyamorous relationship and that everybody is happy. I, yeah, this definitely seems like a much more chill environment than the bear king situation, much less dictatorshipy by the seams of it much more lovely little community i hope so so lee says he's looking for grumman and the headman says we've been expecting you yes (laughs) he also says something about like you've come to take dr grumman to the other world which is like oh interesting interesting uh, adding to the air of mystery that's being carefully curated here. Yes. There's a really cute bit here. The headman's like, oh, follow me and I'll take you to where Grumman is. The other villagers fell aside respectfully, understanding Hester's distaste for the filthy mud she had to lurk through. Lee scooped her up in his arms and shouldered his pack, following the headman along a forest path. Yeah. Oh, he picks so up sweet. Hester. My, I will say, my second bit of Googling happened around this point. Would you like to know? He shoulders packed following the headman along a forest path to a hut. Ten longbow shots from the village in a clearing in the larches. Would you like to know how long ten longbow shots is? Yes, please. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's an unusual measurement to have picked up there, Phil. Like, is it just like a generic, like, mm, there's a thing? Or is it like a like a legit unit of measurement and it is a longbow shot is approximately 200 to 250 meters so 10 longbow shots is around 2000 to 2500 meters which is one to one and a half miles Mm, i'm happy i'm happy that you put it in miles because i don't i'm not very good at anything else other than miles really (laughs) yeah well initially i was like oh that doesn't seem like that far like i don't i don't like 10 bow shots away like is that like the village is here and it's only just outside? But like a mile out of the village is like, that's pretty much how far it was to like my nan's house. And you had to walk through quite a few fields to get there. So like, that's like yeah, my mom very was, outskirts. My mum always used to say that a mile takes around 20 minutes to walk. 
So that's what I always have in my head now. When am I? Or oh, was it half an hour? No, I'm pretty sure it was 20 minutes. So yeah, I always think 20 minutes to a mile now. So yeah, it's a good little 20 minute walk with Lee and this headman just walking up this little forest path, which I think is lovely with Hester on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. And then they get to Grumman's Lodge, which to me sounds like the description sounds like some sort of like hipster glamping situation <laughs> where it's like, oh, the, the like antlers and whatever he's got on the wall. Um, I'll just read it, shall I? place was decorated with boar tusks and the antlers of elk and reindeer but they weren't merely hunting trophies for they'd been hung with dried flowers and carefully plated sprays of pine as if for some uh, ritualistic purpose but in my head I was just thinking about some like wanky glamping teepee or something I just went immediately to midsummer oh yeah yeah I'm all here for like decorating um Oh, yeah, very midsummer, very like, um, I'm thinking of like a Welsh festival uh, with the like Mary, I can't remember what it's called, something Mary where they'd like decorate um, horse skulls with like these massive like floral things and these like long cowls and stuff and pray them through the village. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would have usually gone straight to midsummer, but I watched Promising Young Woman recently and there's a bit where there's a bachelor party and they go to like a house that's in the woods and it's very like... um log cabin-y style decor and it just made me think of that Mm. I guess yeah there's like a yeah is it more like hunting cabin vibe or is it more like midsummer and I guess it's somewhere between the two (laughs) by the sounds of it with all the pelts everywhere but then also flowers (laughs) so we learn that Grumman is a shaman and that his heart is sick and that they're being spied on and this bit is amazing Suddenly, Lee felt a shiver go down his back, and Hester stiffened in his arms, for they saw that they had been watched all the time. From among the dried flowers and the pine sprays, a bright yellow eye looked out. It was a demon, and as Lee watched, she turned her head and delicately took a spray of pine in her powerful beak and drew it across the space like a curtain. (laughs) This little curtain. Oh, yeah. I just love that she's there for the drama. Oh, absolutely. I love that she's kind of camouflaged in there and she's there to make this like dramatic entrance for Grumman and like... And then as soon as she sees that they're looking, she's just a dramatic curtain shirt. <laughs> love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. The headman calls out for Joppery, which is the name that Lee remembers him being called by by that old seal hunter that he met back way back when. And then we get a nice description of him, which I want to read because I always love when we get a first description of a new character. Absolutely. Standing in the doorway, gaunt, blazing-eyed, was a man dressed in skins and furs. His black hair was streaked with grey, his jaw jutted strongly, and his osprey demon sat glaring on his fist. And again, it's not loads of description, but it's enough, I think. Mm. You get the impression that he's like sturdy or has once been quite sturdy but is now has you know age has hit a bit weathered yeah he's getting a salt and pepper you know yeah definitely and then lee introduces himself and stanislaus grumman says um the winds have blown you a long way from your homeland mr scoresby and i honestly cannot read joppery saying mr scoresby without thinking of hot priest now Mm -hmm. in his little like (laughs) flirty way yeah (laughs) i love it i love it yeah one of the things that i was going to bring up later but i'm just going to bring it up now is throughout this chapter 
we still, or Lee still refers to Grumman as Grumman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that carries on. I can't remember. In the TV show, they made a very conscious choice to call him Joppery for the whole thing, which is interesting because it, in my brain, it would make more sense to call him Grumman because so that people watching would always tie it back to that head in the uh, box at the beginning of season one. Mm. it's like a thread that runs through and like calling him Joppery don't don't get me wrong I love the name Joppery love saying it but it just eradicates that a bit and it would for me like if I'd not read the books I wonder whether I'd like relate the two things and if I'd forget I feel like maybe the there was a choice to like place more of the emphasis on um less John Parry's life as Stannis Algerman and more his life as Joppery and John Parry because that's what's more relevant to like the through plot of the TV series because like the head in a block of ice feels much less relevant than his connection to Will. That's true. Going forward. Very true. Can you remember when we were watching the TV show and I said to you, oh, I've just realised that Joppery is like John Parry like mushed together and you were like, are you fucking kidding me? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, a contraction. Exactly. Two Another words one. mushed together. Like Jimson Weed and Jamestown Weed. Yeah. John um, Parry and Joppery. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I did not I did not get that until very recently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done me. I can't remember. Yeah, it's so long ago that I read the books. I'm like, maybe I didn't immediately get it as a kid, but at some of my, in one of my many read-throughs, it will, will have sunk in. So it's, this seemed obvious to me, but maybe it's not that obvious. And I don't want to ridicule you for not knowing. <laughs> well, you already did, so thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, so they get a cuppa. <laughs> they get a cuppa, but this bit really makes me laugh because Joppery says you'll find a bench inside my hut if you help me bring it out. We can sit in this agreeable light, and then Lee ends up bringing it out himself, and it just makes me laugh. And it makes me think of like something that I would do, like because whenever I ask, ask you to help me with like crafty stuff, I'm like, Rich, can you help me do this? And then you just do it. Then you just end up doing it for me and I do nothing at all. And it just reminds me of that. Can you help me do this? But really what I'm saying is, can you do it? I'll, I'll be moral support. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Joppery's doing some great moral support by making the drink while Lee <laughs> does the heavy lifting. <laughs> also, he has like a poorly heart. So like, I feel like it's True. not explained, but I feel like Lee would probably quite chivalrously be like, no, no. I know you're sick. Let me do the heavy lifting. You do the thing that it's like, it's your house. You know where the things are to make a cup of tea. That's like, true. We've each got our jobs here, but it's not explained that way. So, <laughs> equally, it's Lee like picking up one end of the bench and waiting and then realizing that, <laughs> that Grumman isn't coming. And then he's just like, okay, <laughs> just drags it like, like along the floor. Uh, yes, incredible. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. So Lee then tells Joppery everything. And what I took from this paragraph is, I miss Egyptians and Yorick. Yeah. Yeah, this is Lee's pretty decent monologue going on right now. Mm-hmm. He gets, well, not particularly prompted by the looks of it. He just kind of launches into a massive monologue about what's brought him here, but including, you know how... You love a story where somebody tells you literally all of the details, including the very extraneous ones. So like yes. a story compartmentalized of like lots of smaller stories. Mm-hmm. 
that feels like that's what Lee's telling here. Whereas he could say like, there's more to it, but long story short, this. He's like, no, long story long, I will tell you everything. <laughs> I also love it how I'm just imagining Joppery sat there being like super smug because he's like, yeah, you can tell me all this stuff, but also I summoned you. So I don't really need to know it. <laughs> but thanks for the information. Yeah. I can see Lee feeling a little, little bit foolish afterwards as well for having explained everything and then being told like, no, that's not what brought you here. I brought you here. And he'd be like, well, no. But all these things. <laughs> <That's a> story. <laughs> yeah. No, I would be pissed if uh, if I thought that I'd gone on my own. Um What's the word? Of your own volition. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. learn that I'd been summoned. I'd be like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> yeah. Lee finishes up his massive monologue where he's explained everything that's happened um, and how he knows who Grumman is mm-hmm. with like throwing a bunch of questions. Yes. Like it's all questions. And it's one of those things where I feel like he's going to ask five or six questions and get one answer to a completely different question from what he asked. I know that this also annoys you. It annoys me so much when you like you're messaging someone or emailing someone or whatever, and you ask like two or three questions, and they only answer one. Answer well, they just say like yes or no, and it's like there were three questions, none of which were yes or no questions. Yeah, it really annoys <laughs> me. Like I'm like answer them all or tell me why you're not answering the others. Just tell me you can't be asked to answer the the others. That's fine. But I adore people that like some people might think it's like passive aggressive or like overly picky but i adore people that reply to your email that was a list of questions by answering each question underneath in red me too and then you know that everything has been answered and you're like oh put a bow on it for me i love it (laughs) me too me too i'm also definitely that person because i know how much i love it so when anyone ever emails me with like a bunch of questions i'm like i will answer every one of these a lot of the time if I'm at work, I'm like pointing them towards somebody else because I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> ask someone else. See above, ask someone else. Yeah. <laughs> See above, ask someone else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but there's still an answer to everyone, even if it's just see above or ask someone else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so he asked a bunch, of que- a bunch of questions. And then this is where we find out something very interesting. The name he used is my own true name, John Parry. Yes, you have come to take me to the other world. And as for what brought you here, I think you'll find it was this. And then we get into something different, which we'll get onto in a second. But I just want to call out, this Will's fucking dad, it's John Parry. Yeah. Ooh. I, right. I can't remember what I thought when I first read this, but I really did think that the reveal that Grumman slash Joppery was Will's dad was much more extravagant than this. And I don't know why. I don't know where I got that from. Because I remember saying in the TV show episode to you, like, oh, it's interesting that we know it's Will's dad all along from season one. We know that it's Will's dad. And there's been like a bit of a build up to like Roman and all that kind of stuff in this book. But I don't know. I had a feel. I, I, I just, I was like, I thought it was a bigger reveal, but I suppose maybe I'm not going to finish that sentence because it's a spoiler. <laughs> I too was about to say something spoilery and had to like be like, nope. That's for later. Um, what we can say is, I feel like we've asked you to put quite a few pins in every time Joppery's been mentioned. You can take them all out now. We know yeah. who Joppery is. We take know who out. Grumman is. Yeah. Any hints, any pins that have been dropped, we can take them all out because we know who he is. <laughs> put them back in your little pin pot. I now would like to point out Grumman... Oh, wait, no, we're not quite there yet. 
I was about to say Grimm's about to do a monologue about his life and he only mentions Will and his mum for like one sentence, but we'll get there when we get there because right now he's handing Lee a ring in a mysterious manner. I really love the description of this ring. Like the detail that um, that Phil goes into is really lovely. Um, so he says, he saw a ring of silver and turquoise, Navajo design. He saw it clearly and he recognised it as his own mother's. He knew its weight and the smoothness of the stone and the way the silversmith has folded the metal over more closely at the corner where the stone was chipped and he knew how the chipped corner had worn smooth because he'd run it through his fingers many, many times, years and years ago in his boyhood in the sage lands of his native country. I really love a description of an object that is then made personal. So the reason why it's worn smooth is because Lee's run it through his hands a, a million times. And I love that like personification of things like that. Cause it really, when you're trying to make an, in, in writing, when you're trying to make an object significant, it's one of the easiest and most effective ways that you can do it is have it relate to a person. And the Phil does like a really good job of emotionally connecting us to the ring, even though it's only a ring. Mm hmm. Yeah, I love, yeah, I love a, dis- a really good description of a tactile object. Like, mm. it's really nice. And I definitely have, like, I used to wear rings all the time, but I am too messy and I can't wear rings because I ruin them. So I barely wear them anymore. I'm very excited to go back out into the world again when I can start wearing rings because I'll be, like, not living my day-to-day life being a mess. <laughs> I'm going to wear so many rings. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> so many. Um, but, yeah, like, a piece that you know like there's items of jewelry that I've like lost over the years where I know that if I found that again, like I, I can like perfectly imagine the shape of it and the feel of it and the weight of it. And like, I feel like that's what that is for Lee because he says he hasn't seen it in like 30 years or something. But like, mm-hmm. I can see him being like, it's it's a really like emotional memory, like an, an emotive object. And I really love it. Yes, yes. It kind of like takes Lee back and he's a bit like, wait a minute, how did you get this? Because, like, he's kind of, like, stood up abruptly. I think he's kind of, like, taken aback. And Grumman's demon kind of, like, pops her head up kind of between them and is, like, defending her person. And I love it. Yeah. I love that little, like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I feel like also this is one of the only times, if not the only time, that we've kind of seen Lee lose his composure a little bit. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh, which I like. He felt undone. He felt like a child again. And his voice was tight and shaky as he said, where did you get that? Lee. Lee. Lee's composure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, And then we we learn here that he was summoned uh, by, I'm assuming, the ring. The ring summoned him or uh, Joffrey summoned him using the ring. He says that he's not seen it in 40 years, which ages Lee up quite a lot. Yeah. It brings you back to the... Oh, what's his, what's his name? Sam. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott to the Sam Elliott Lee Scoresby rather than the, the Lynn. Yeah. Which is why I think I said 30 because I was like, that pair may be 30. <laughs> um, I just wanted to point out that Grumman is very level slash nonchalant to a lot of this. Mm. Like Lee is like having an emotional response and is like, where did you get that? And Grumman's, Grumman or Parry is just like, oh, take it. It's work is done. It's summoned you. Now I don't need it. Like, it's just a bit of tat that he doesn't need when he can see that yeah. it's something that elicits an emotional response in Lee. Yeah. And I really dislike that, like, dismissiveness that he kind of has through a lot of this. He's quite short. Yeah. Dismissive. 
I agree. Um, I feel the same. And also really don't like that he basically tells Lee to calm down. Uh, yeah, I think I have a note on that. And I was like, uh, mate. How fucking <laughs> Sit dare. down, Mr. Scoresby. Be calm. You fucking be calm, mate. <laughs> I fucking <laughs> hate that. I mean, has there ever been a moment in the history of arguments, conversations, whatever, where one person has told the other person to calm down and that person has just been like, okay, cool, I'm calm now. No. I don't think so. Not even in an argument, just in a situation where someone is stressed or panicking or any any situation where you're not calm, being told to be calm will not make you more calm. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <sighs> so this is where Grumman basically tells all, right? One thing that I took from this speech, and I don't think he doesn't give it to us, like it, he's not... I don't, he's not emotional about this at any point, really. But what I was thinking just purely from, for myself is, can you imagine how fucking awful and horrible and sad and everything it would be to walk into another world without realizing it and then never be able to get back to your own world? Horrible. So awful. And I feel like Grumman's accepted it because he's been there for so long. But imagine there's, I mean, I'm sure like there's a lot of grief there forever, but imagine there's like first couple of weeks, months, days, whatever, where you're like trying to get back and you can't. It's fucking horrible. It's like a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps what we're seeing from Grumman is this very like flat aspect that we're getting of him is a, I have either buried this so deep, I no longer can feel feelings about it, or I have come to terms with this to such a blunt point that I can no longer feel feelings about it, if that yeah. makes sense. No, like totally. He's either dealt with all the feelings or they are way down deep and buried. <laughs> no, and yeah, totally. And actually, thinking about it, it does, because I didn't think that when I first read it, but it, it does warm me to him a little bit more because I can relate to that heavily. Like I I was like badly bullied when I was a teenager and I can talk about that really openly now because I don't really feel feelings about it. And... For for me, a long time ago, it's because I buried those feelings, but now, like, like now, I'd, I've worked through them a bit more. It's kind of like you can remove yourself from the situation and talk about it, like diplomatically with someone. So yeah, I definitely relate to that, and it, yeah, it just warm me up to him a tiny bit. Yeah, I mean, I guess in a similar way, like I last year did. I last year went on "Don't Tell the Babysitter Mum's Dead" with Brittany Ashley, and was able to recount a very emotional story for myself without breaking down. But the fact that you're telling it as a story, really, it really kind of powers you through being able to physically tell it because you know that there's, you're trying to get through, here is the information that you're putting across that you're trying to get through. So like, I went on that podcast to talk about the death of my sister. And that was like a huge thing. Like I hadn't really ever in audio format really ever spoken about it. But telling that story and knowing that I was telling that in a way that was going to hopefully be helpful to other people and that I had to kind of get through it to just be able to have that conversation was like a huge thing of like telling it like a story and I wonder if that's kind of where this is coming from because Parry has essentially experienced a huge loss he's not just mm-hmm. lost his family which he won't get to for a while but he's lost a whole world yeah and so I wonder if he's like is he 10 or 11 years into like this grief process and he probably can tell it as a story because he's probably gone over it in his head hundreds of times yeah as a story 
Yeah. And unless somebody asks him personally how he feels, he's not going to do a cry, which is exactly how it works with me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And also, he probably just hasn't ever told this story to anyone either. Like, who, like, Lee will be the first person that he's ever told this story to. So you can imagine that he's probably gone over it and over it in his own in his his own head a million times this is the first time he's saying it out loud yeah it's really huge but then i feel like i'm kind of coming to this all in the podcast because most of my notes are like oh god he's a bit of a dick isn't he because <laughs> he does come off so deadpan <laughs> no same i'm exactly the same <laughs> wow we're discovering new things as we talk how great yeah. <laughs> podcasting yay <laughs> um he very like clearly goes through kind of what we already know in terms of like he was an arctic explorer he found a hole he like went under the guise of being a mercenary but also he found this hole between the worlds which is what he was looking for couldn't get back uh found himself in this in-between world which we know to be chitagatsi or the world that has chitagatsi in it and finds this like ghoul or apparition haunting it, which I love. Like ghoul is such a great word. I love the word ghoul. The two people that went through the hole, that went through the window with him, got spectred, which is very sad. And I can imagine that being absolutely harrowing. Can't find your way home. And then your mates get spectred. Question about that. It says that they died. They got got killed by the spectres, but spectres don't kill people. So what do you think happened there? He says they died soon afterwards, victims of the spectres. Do you think, right, because think about what happens to people when they get spectred. I'm imagining they don't really know how to like feed themselves or like keep themselves alive in that sense. Do you think they died of something like that or because like wasn't Joppery there helping them? Like wouldn't he wouldn't just, I would hope that he wouldn't just abandon them. Maybe he had to in order to not get spectred himself. In the same way that the riders are in all, like, travelling parties of, like, people from Jitagatsi so that they can get away and come back to look after the kids. Like, I wonder if John Parry, with his military brain, was like, I can't do anything and I need to keep myself safe. I wanna, yeah, yeah, who knows? I want to know I, how they died. Mm-hmm. Maybe he... Oh my god, do you think he, like, mercy killed them? I would think that he might have that in him. If he's military. Adds to how harrowing his experience would have been, certainly. Um, <laughs> god, yeah, that makes it a lot darker, doesn't it? Yeah. Also, he might not, like... God, witnessing someone get inspected for the first time when you've just walked into a world you don't know where it is and you can't go home, like, he might have just run away and assumed that they'd been killed like he might have run away halfway through the halfway through it happening because he could see the spectres and was like just ran away and assumed they were gone i don't know who who knows that is oh yeah he can't find his way home but finds his way to this world where hey Faye, do you have something for demon watch here <laughs> i surely do i surely do um where the fuck are my notes though because i I was just listening to you talk and i wasn't following on the book (laughs) this is so fucking beautiful i love how it's written 
I love that pretty much uh, Hot Priest said it like verbatim in the TV show. It's really beautiful. So, and here I came and I discovered a marvel as soon as I did, Mr. Scoresby, for worlds differ greatly. And in this world, I saw my demon for the first time. Yes, I hadn't known of Cyan Kator here till I entered yours. People here cannot conceive of worlds where demons are a silent voice in the mind and no more. Can you imagine my astonishment in turn at learning that part of my own nature was female and bird-formed and beautiful? Oh, she is beautiful. She's a lovely sassy osprey. (laughs) How do you think they appear? Do you think they like come out of you? Do, Do you think that they just literally appear? I'm I'm picturing like an alien chestbuster situation right now, which I don't think happened. <laughs> I, I somewhat doubt it's that. Um, but I also don't know. Like, did he just look up and there in the a tree was the bird and he just knew that bird was a part of him? Or did she like um, Star Trek like teleporter in? Do you know when uh, demons die and it's all like wispy and shit? Yeah. What if it was just like the literal reverse, reverse. of that? Yeah. Book one, in the middle of the Battle of, of Bolvanga, uh, a wolf demon leapt at him and he slashed at her in midair and bright fire spilled out of her as she fell onto the snow where she hissed and howled before vanishing. Her human died at once. There's... That was one of the Tartars getting slain by Yorick Bernison. Vanish. Yeah, so bright fire appear. spilled out of her. So I don't know whether that's just a description of goriness or... Yeah, like I feel like that's because she got sliced though, right? Yeah. Whether it's actual fire or blood um, or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. 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 Um, Is it like a 3D printer? <laughs> <laughs> bloop, 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 bloop. It's yes. just a demon getting printed. And it takes it's ages. Like, oh, it's got bird legs. I don't <laughs> know what it is. <laughs> That would be really exciting. Yeah. Just be like guessing what it was as it went up. Uh, yes. So this whole bit here about like how he worked his way up is very boreal. It's very like classic white man. I'm assuming he's white. Mm. That's my assumption. Making the way up to the top with literally nobody asking any questions at any point along the way. Yeah, his... The ease of his acceptance into the patriarchal academia that is Lyra's world would suggest to me that he is a white man that comports himself like he is relatively wealthy. Exactly, because if it was a woman or a person of colour or a woman of colour or somebody with a disability or any kind of other person that wasn't a white man, they would have the not... The magisterium would not have it. <laughs> they would have not been able to work their way, their way up as quickly as he has done, if at all. The mere fact that he's only having to defend his theses and academic ideas rather than his existence in the world yeah. is a, a real, a really strong indication that he's a white man. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Everyone else usually has to spend a fair portion of their time justifying their existence alongside all of their ideas and, th- and feelings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's very Boreal, right? It follows the exact same trajectory that happened to Boreal when he went into Will's world. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, great comparison. We get a mention of uh, the one and only mention of Will and... Uh, Literally. And Will's mum. Oh, man. He's like, 
I miss some things about my old about my own world, to be sure. Are you a married man, Mr. Scoresby? No. Well, I was, and I loved my wife dearly, as I loved my son, my only child, a little boy, not yet one year old, when I wandered out of my world. I missed them terribly, but I might search for a thousand years and never find the way back. We were sundered forever. That last bit is like. That's heartbreaking. He's come to accept that they're gone because it would take a thousand years to ever find them. Mm. He's referring to them in the past tense entirely, which shows me that he has fully accepted that they're gone. Yeah. I don't love it. I don't love that he's spent so long talking about his story and he didn't start with. Mm. I agree with you. I had the exact same note and I wasn't happy about it at all. But since we've had our discussion about grief, I wonder if it's a coping mechanism if it's just easier for him to not speak about them and not think about them and also think about them in this in the past tense because he's probably tried so many years to find them and he can't and he doesn't want to open that kind of worms again that it might be a possibility so he has just learned to live with the fact that it's past tense and just doesn't think or talk about it as much yeah i guess in the same way that like i imagine people would have been encouraging will and his mum to assume that he was dead and like that it's going to be easier if you go and you grieve and you don't just hold out hope for him coming home i can't remember the beginning of the book goldfish memory if will thought his dad was dead and finds out he's still alive or if he is just always under the assumption that he's not around or and that he's missing i don't think it's specified mm. i don't think it's specified i think it's just that he went missing I feel like hopefully I would have remembered if he thought he was dead. Um, but also it's equally possible that I have forgot. <laughs> so he says an interesting thing here. I have found a way of making an ointment from blood moss, for example, that preserves all the virtues of the fresh plant. Our pal, hmm. sphagnum moss being mentioned again. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Hmm wonder why that's relevant Mm. is that something to pop a pin in maybe i think we'll pop a pin in that Mm. and also just like what a random humble brag i know like what what a weird thing to bring up by the way while i was here (laughs) i invented a moss ointment (laughs) i mean that's definitely the kind of shit i would brag about (laughs) bloody leather moss (laughs) god don't bring my trauma surrounding moss up please (laughs) i won't but you know that i love mosses the moss betrayed me. I will never forgive it. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't love the way he just immediately moves on from his wife and kid that he misses, but we do understand it. He explains his moss. Great. He shows off some more about what he knows. He says he under- he knows what dust is. And then he just jumps all in with his alignment with Azriel. We knew earlier in the chapter that he held a little bit of a candle for Azriel when he refers to Azriel's uh, entrance as being spectacular. He's an Azriel stan and we don't love it. Oh, there we go. Uh, Lord Azriel is not the first by any means to travel between the worlds, though he's the first to open the way so spectacularly. All right, spectacular. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, do you think that was a pun on, on spectres? Oh. Letting loads of spectres in. (laughs) Could be. Love it. 
Yeah, he says, I know what Lord Azriel is doing, and I know why, and that's why I summoned you here. I'm going to help him, you see, because the task he's undertaken is the greatest in human history. The greatest in 35,000 years of human history, Mr. Scoresby. Calm down. Calm down? Yeah, see how do you fucking like it, Doppery? Calm down. (laughs) Calm down. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? I mean... We get it. Asriel's greater goal might be for the greater good, the mm. greater good. Um, hot first reference there for everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we still don't love it. And we don't love that. I Again, I kind of feel like Phil may... I can't work out if Phil likes or dislikes Asriel because he made a point of every time we're looking at the world and how it's been changed by what Asriel's done, it is negatively. It yeah. is like there's a dead body floating down the river earlier in this chapter as yeah. a result of drowning from the floods caused by the global warming caused by Azriel's explosion. <laughs> um, which makes me think like maybe that, yeah, this like greatness doesn't come with being a nice person in any way, shape or form. And there's yeah. a lot of collateral damage occurring, but I do think the importance being put on this task is relevant and it's, it seems pretty important, so, like, mm-hmm. fair enough. But, well, that's what mm. Phil wants, isn't it? <laughs> he wants us to be unsure. He doesn't want us to just love or hate anyone. Um, and Asriel is the most obvious example of that. But yes, we can we can agree with what Asriel is doing without thinking that he is a nice person, because we know he is not. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's it. I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Joppery slash Grumman slash John Parry goes on to say he is aware that he is weak. His heart is sick. He can't help in any way other than that he knows a piece of information that he thinks that Asriel will help Asriel's goal, mm-hmm. his wider mission, which is still not totally fully laid out for us, really. No. We're getting a lot of like lofty goals, but we don't fully know exactly what's going on. He kind of explains how he's whilst his body has become quite frail he's still able to like i think he's explaining that he's been astral projecting essentially oh because he says that where he uh, as a shaman i can discover things in the spirit where i cannot go in the body i spent much time in a trance exploring that world yeah, yeah which makes me think that he's worked out how to astral project into that world so he mentions the knife and he also mentions that it says it had many powers more than they'd guessed when they made it far more than they even know now I wonder what else it can do. I wonder. Because we only know two things, yeah, two things that it can do. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not going to tell us, is he? Because no, he's not. Joppery, aside from his massive monologue, is still quite withholding of information. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. Um, so, yeah, he kind of just bangs on about the knife for a bit, right? And that he needs to take it to Asriel. He needs to find the bearer of the subtle knife and tell that person that they... And basically rally them, rally them, rally them to Asriel's side of whatever fight Asriel is kicking off. Yeah, basically, I do love here that he's talking about his son and he doesn't even know it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that Lee is like, we need to get Lyra under the protection of the knife, and it's yeah. like she already is. She is. Oh. She is. <laughs> And then basically he says to Lee, that's your mission. You've got to take me to that world where the knife is and we've got to find the knife bearer. Mm-hmm. And Lee's like, this is the craziest damn idea I ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a fair reaction. 
I feel. Yeah, fair. <laughs> and again, like, this is, you see, like, Lee being a bit pissed off here. Like, he stood up in his agitation and walked a pace or two this way, a pace or, a pace or two that, while Hester watched unblinking from the bench. It's like, again, like, we've not really seen this, like, I suppose, Lee not being fully composed. I think, despite being a lover of freedom, Lee, Lee is a bit of a control freak mm. in terms of he's always made his own schedule. He's always taken the jobs he wanted and said no to the jobs he didn't and, like, been looking out for number one. And yes, he's got a soft spot for Lyra and Yorick and he's loyal to his friends, but I think he's still always in control and he's just been told that he wasn't in control of his own actions and he's been drawn here. Mm-hmm. And he's a bit like, uh, actually, mate... You didn't make me come to you. I I found you, and I yeah. looked really bloody hard. <laughs> if you were, if you were like, I'd be like, hang on, mate. If you were summoning me to you, why didn't you make it easier? Yeah. Why didn't you just bring me straight here? <laughs> why were you so bloody hard to find? If if you were the one doing all the hard work, who travelled up a fucking river? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh god, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would be pissed off too mm. if I'd just been told that my free will was not my free will i'd be very pissed off but grumman again is really flippant with it um because he's like oh what do you want money i can get you some gold that's not hard and lee's like no i didn't come here for gold (laughs) i came here to see if you were alive which is a really nice contrast to northern lights when lee was just like i'm doing this for the money because i need the money now he's like bitch i don't need that money i just want lyra yeah i just want lyra to be safe yeah yeah, I love that. It's very, like, kind of funny and a bit weak of Lee to be like, I, I came here to see if you're alive, uh, and you are. And it's like, okay, did you go all that way just to see if you're alive? Like, he's realising that he has been summoned, like, he's putting it together in his head, and it's really funny to me that he's like, no, actually, I came here to uh, see if you were alive. <laughs> but then also, that's not his sole purpose, because he then goes on to say, like, we know that the reason that he's looking for Grumman is partly to see if he's alive and partly because if he is alive, he'll know the location of the knife, which yeah. Lee's also looking for, for Lyra. And he explains, once he's like, well, now I know you're alive, there's another angle to this thing too. You see that little girl, well, she's the reason I set out to help the witches in the first place. You say you brought me here with the Navajo ring. Maybe that's so and maybe it ain't. What I know is I came here because I thought I'd be helping Lyra. I ain't never seen a child like that. If I had a daughter of my own, I hope she'd be half as strong and brave and good. Just, I'm going to cry now. (sighs) Now, I heard you knew of some object, I didn't know what it might be, that confers a protection on anyone who holds it. And from what you say, I think it must be this subtle knife. So this is my price for taking you to the other world, Dr. Grumman. Not gold, but the knife. I don't want it for myself. I want it for Lyra. (sighs) Oh, Lee! balloon dad strikes again and we love to see it we love to see it and also like i feel like he's kind of come into his own through that like little ranty paragraph he's been like actually no i didn't just come to see if you're alive i came to i came for the knife Mm. i I came for an object and you've told me it's this knife yeah Yeah. and so yeah i'm agreeing to this but only if you agree that whoever has this knife will also protect lyra and i just love it i know what do you think of this next bit where he uh, swears on what made him not accept the love of a witch? Do you think it's Elaine, his wife? I think so. I love that Lee's brought that card out because I think this is the first time Joffrey's been surprised this yeah. whole chapter. Because yeah. he's like, 
welcome, Mr. Scoresby, I've been expecting you, and then goes on a monologue and knows everything. And yeah. this seems like the first time he's been shaken. Shaken? Mm. Shooker. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, swear it by whatever it was that made you turn down the love of the witch. I guess that's the most important thing you know. And Grumman's eyes widened, and he said, you guess well, Mr. Scoresby. I'll gladly swear by that. And I'm like, yes, it has to be Elaine and Will. It has to be. And yeah. I love that Lee's had that card in his pocket the whole time as well. Definitely. Like, yes, this is it. I'm going to play it now. <laughs> yes. Did you um, notice anything else about this paragraph? May I ask? Uh, no, no. Why? Ooh. He calls Lyra, Lyra Balakwa, and Lee has not said her last name ever since they met. Oh, I feel like I kind of half twigged that, but I didn't. Interesting. So this could be two things. So it could be that he's a shaman, so he just knows stuff. Or it could be that because he's such an Asriel stan, he knows that that Asriel has a potential daughter or uncle, depending on how much knowledge he has, called Lyra. And he put (laughs) uncle. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) amazing. I would love to see that. Um, Uh, Yeah, called Lyra. And he's put put it together. But I really enjoyed that. It's actually one of my favourite bits in the chapter. I thought it was a really cool little, like, huh, Lee's not even mm. said that. And you've just said her last name. And also, not the last name that she chooses to use anymore, might we add. His information is out of date. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we don't go by Balakwa anymore. We go by Silver Tongue. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Please update your records. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> So he says, yes, he'll make sure that Lyra's under the protection of the knife, but that also might bring other danger as well. And Lee's like, "I'll basically I'll take that risk for for the extra safety. And uh, and then they say they're going to go into the, like, to the new world. And Lee says, and the wind, you ain't being too sick to observe the weather, I guess. Leave the wind to me. Leave the wind to <laughs> me. Just makes Puts me his head up and giggles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Leave the wind to me, says Faye, after eating a block of cheese. It's very true. <laughs> Every time I like hear that now, I just think of you making that joke, and I love that joke, so thank you. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> so, they go back down to the village, they go and see the headman again, and he's talking for quite a while, and like the villagers come out to like kind of see them off, really, and it looks like he's blessing them. Gets like a little heartfelt goodbye with the community that adopted him when he first arrived yeah yeah which is nice um and then they head back on the boat and it's not as it was really difficult in the river earlier wasn't it we didn't mention it but it was difficult they couldn't there was a there was a dead guy in the river like there was loads Mm -hmm. of debris and stuff and now they're speeding they're off yeah. Good to have a shaman in your boat. Handy. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Very handy. Lee, however, is like a bit on edge still. Mm-hmm. It mentions that um, the river's going so fast that he's afraid for Hester. But she was a seasoned traveller. He should have known that. Why was he so damn jumpy? Mm. We don't know why, but he, Lee's a little bit on edge. I think like, I just think it's the ring. Like, like, I think he's just really shook us about finding his, like, being presented with his mum's ring and also then being told that he's been summoned after, like we said, spent all this time and effort trying to get there. It's a lot mm-hmm. of information to, to take in and try to accept. I, and I guess he's agreed to, like, 
just go world hopping as well. Just yeah. go on, just travel into a new world. Uh, he, I think it's mentioned that it's like it's going to be hard to come back if he does go there again. He said somewhere it's mentioned like say goodbye to your homeland and like yeah, it's kind it's a ma- it is a massive step. So I, yeah, I do understand why he's jumpy. Definitely, <laughs> they get back to where Lisa off from the little town to find that it's absolutely swarming with Magisterium soldiers. Mm-hmm. Ruh-roh. ruh um, And they can't stay anywhere. They were going to stay over for the night and they can't because everywhere's full up. Well, Lee's basically like, well, uh, he talks to one of the boatmen there and they say that they are heading north, heading into the new world um, for the greatest war ever known. Yeah. Um, and then they decide to just go because Lee's full of anxiety about his balloon. They haven't got anywhere to stay. So they go back to get the balloon. And this is very fucking frustrating. The fact that somebody has sold Lee's balloon when he put it in storage. I hate that so much. It's, yeah. The same thing is happening to everybody in this town right now. All of the vehicles are being uh, requisitioned and commandeered and all sorts. Like every, like lovely government takeover um yeah great sure just let soldiers steal everything because that's how it works no and but yeah the indignity of it for lee because he's it's not even like he lives here not that that is any excuse at all like he's such a free spirit and it's just like you sold my balloon (laughs) so bad and like he loves his balloon so much so much There's another really nice bit here with Hester and, and Lee. It says, Hester flicked her ears and Lee understood what she meant. They just don't even need to talk. They don't need to do anything. They just know. They just know. Yeah. And they do something really clever and they use the ring that Lee took from the dead Skralin magisterium guy. Um, well, I would say a couple of chapters ago, quite a few chapters ago now, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and basically says, we'll, ha- we'll have the balloon now because... I've got the power, baby, because I've got this ring. Mm-hmm. And you know what's annoying? I reckon if you quizzed Grumman about why Lee had to spend so long trying to find him, he'd be like, oh, well, I knew you'd probably need that ring. So I, like, summoned <laughs> yeah. you by way of going past that station where I thought you might fight a guy and get a ring. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Or he'd yeah. be like, oh, it's all fated. And you'd just be like, oh. You could have made it easy though, couldn't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> you could have just like made it when I was on my way to you. I just saw a r- the ring on the floor and I was like, oh, cool. I'll take that. Also, like, why can't Grumman, like, Obi Wan Kenobi this? Like, he claims to be so powerful that he's summoned Lee halfway across the world to find him. And he can't be like, this is not the balloon you are looking for. Like, come mm. on. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting, actually, isn't it, to think about. So we don't really know the scope of his powers other than that he can summon Lee and apparently knows who Lyra is, potentially astral project, and change the weather. So I'd like to know some more about it. Lee uses the ring to... Well, he finds out that the balloon's already been requisitioned and says, actually, we have higher authority here and flashes the ring. And like the guard, like uh, the warehouseman kind of like accepts it but the guard kind of looks at it a little bit suspiciously but backs off because he's not gonna like directly question authority but he's totally gonna like go and ask someone what they think of what he saw kind of thing yeah 
Yeah. Which, yeah, it's at least it buys them some time and gets the balloon back. Um, so they get the balloon, Lee does some balloon stuff, getting the balloon all ready for when they're going to go. And they are just about to go. They've got like the men holding the rope at the bottom of the balloon, like ready to let it go. And somebody comes running in and shouts, Halt! Lee tells the men holding the ropes on the floor to let go. Two of them on one side do, two of them don't. So the balloon like lurches sideways. And this bit, and I didn't, it like triggered my memory when I read it again, is one of the like clearest memories I have from this book is the the guy holding onto the rope and Lee's like, I've seen this before and it's going to be fucking horrible. And then the guy is separated from his demon because his demon's a dog, I think, um, on the ground. And yes. it's awful. And I really remember it really well. I, for me, it immediately triggers. And I don't, I have no idea why we would have watched this at school. I feel like we watched it in like year 11 as some kind of like, oh, watch this film and then analyze it for some kind of like drama studies thing. But we watched, have you seen Enduring Love? Mm -mm. There is a scene, I think towards the beginning of that, where essentially this happens, except for the person, instead of, like fainting when they get so far away because their demons on the ground because obviously this film doesn't have demons in they go up so high and then they drop off the rope and break both of their legs in a really gory fashion oh. you probably quite like this one. it's very gory <laughs> um it's horrific but it really triggered that for me that thing of like oh my god if a balloon goes up and you're on there and you drop you're dropping vertically like a pin and like the, the leg smash smush thing oh, was horrible. god yeah god and it really triggered that for me i was like oh no so i really hope that doesn't happen to the man when he falls with his demon, I hope he doesn't get separated, and I also hope he doesn't get smushed. I assumed I assumed that he got separated. That's what I assumed happened. I thought he just fainted from the stretch. But the way that it says half dead, true. Like I would kind of associate somebody that had, that had been separated as being half dead, but that's just me. Yeah, true. But yeah, it's grim. Mm. Whichever way, it's grim. Super grim. So the soldiers are like shooting up at the balloon. But it's not really having a massive effect, really. Um, and the bo the boys are away. The boys and and the balloon, they're off. There's a uh, there's a nice bit here where Lee um, uh, says he'd said once to Serafina Peckler that he didn't care for flying, that it was only a job, but he hadn't meant it. Soaring upwards with a fair wind behind and a new world in front, what could be better in this life? Yeah, mm. I literally just. A perfect moment in the TV series is when the balloon flies towards the anomaly slash Azrael explosion. You just hear Lee like, "Woo!" Yes, I love it. I love <laughs> yeah. that bit so much. It's so great. I'm imagining that he has to like crack a little whoop out or a little yeehaw, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then that's kind of it, really, isn't it? Not much. They have a little conversation. Lee says he's he's like sad about the guy that fell, and then Grumman's just like, "I'm cold." Can I have some blankets? Give, give me them blankets. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's it. Yeah. The next chapter. Oh, well. Should we talk about this chapter as a whole before I tell you what the next one's called? Oh my God, the suspense. <laughs> um, yeah. I I loved being back with Lee. I liked meeting Joppery. I am very intrigued and enjoyed that we both kind of changed our opinions on Joppery as we spoke about it. Mm -hmm. which I like a lot. Um, it's very exposition-y, not very action-y. Um, 
but I did really like that it gave us more of an insight to Lee and we saw him like losing his composure a little bit and I think that that is really handy and I love characters and I love character driven chapters so yes I did enjoy I did enjoy that one yeah I feel like we like Lee's story is finally kind of fully kicking off now at this point like he spent a long time making his mind up what he was gonna do or the last few chapters we've seen him he was making his mind up gathering information and then heading to go and find this guy and now he's actually found him and they're off on the next stage of his journey which is really nice yeah definitely and yeah i'm really intrigued by uh joppery revelations i've been very i mean the fact that he wasn't very affectionate in the letters is completely different from the (laughs) fact that he's not very affectionate in his retelling of his trauma because entirely different things separated by 10 years of processing trauma um so there's that uh yeah really intrigued by that revelation because most of my notes on him just reading it in with my like immediate reactions were like god he's a bit rude god he's a bit full of himself oh he's just a bit like he's coming off quite as really and i'm not really here for it and then you go actually no i I, i've i've logicked my way through that and i yeah i relate i relate (laughs) yeah exactly and i think those aspects of his character are still i still think them and they're still there so like he is a bit rude sometimes and like he did just like fucking like dismiss lee when lee was obviously having a bit of a minute um so they're still there i just think it's the like trauma aspect of it that i didn't really think through when i was like reading and taking my notes Mm -hmm. yeah really really solid lee chapter i love it yeah yeah me too now you can tell us what the next chapter is called the next chapter is called I had to double check this because I really want to mispronounce it because I can never read. <laughs> the next chapter is called The Belvedere. The Belvedere. I don't even know. Like, I, right, I couldn't tell you what a Belvedere is or what it means, but I know in my brain I associate it with something posh. I googled this because ah. <laughs> I was like, why does it sound familiar? It's the name of a very old, very fancy hotel in New York. There is a TV series called Mr. Belvedere about like a really posh butler, I think. Right. Or like a really posh, the character in it that's called Mr. Belvedere is really posh. And also it's the name of a very fancy palace somewhere. I don't have the page up because I was going to mention it at the beginning of the next chapter. I will do my research for next time. (laughs) You do that next time. Yeah. (laughs) If anyone wants to email us with information about the Belvedere and why... Is such a familiar sounding name and what the history is. Please do tell us because when I initially Googled it, it just kept trying to give me hotel bookings because there's <laughs> loads of hotels called the Belvedere now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please, please tell us. We'd be very interested to know. Do you have an award to give out? I suspect our awards are for the same person Maybe. or for the same demon. It's Hester, baby. Ooh. Ooh. No, I mean, Obviously, yes, I fucking love Hester. But uh, I went for Cyan Couture because I really enjoyed how sassy she was when she, like, pulled the fucking little pine curtain across. Yeah, double demon award ceremony. Yes. yes. Love it. We're here for our amazing demon babes that Absolutely. are sassy and 
relatively monosyllabic. <laughs> exactly. They both have the same energy, I feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, love it. <laughs> big D energy, but just big demon energy. Love it. Yes, big demon energy. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <sighs> Speaking of awards and rewards, we're still running our giveaway whereby if you write us a positive review on one of the many platforms where you can review the podcast, including Apple Podcasts and Facebook, and there's quite a few have a look if you can review us. We'd love for you to leave us a review. If you screenshot that review and email it to us at her.materialspod at gmail.com, we will enter you into a prize draw. When we hit 50 of those entries, we will pull out 10 people to win some cool HDM pod merch in the form of stickers and bookmarks. Yes. Yay. Please say nice things. Give us five stars. We really appreciate it. so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lee and Joppery, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Faye which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about sassy demons, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at Rachmakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. chapter. Yay, Lee! <laughs> Bye! Bye. <laughs>